Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm your host, Justin. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Thanks to our fellowship party member, Goblinstone, all of Crit Nation has a chance to win a wonderful prize each and every week. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, The Banquet of the Damned. Goblinstone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Make sure to head on over to www.goblinstone.com, or you can check out our fellowship link on our website at critacademy.com. So today's winner of the awesome five-star adventure is Kyle Winecki. <laughs> Congratulations, Kyle. You can celebrate. Yeah. Celebrate. <laughs> Go on and celebrate. Hope you enjoy your new adventure. Thanks for joining us today at the Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like a Crit Academy episode without a terrible joke. <laughs> so today... In our first segment, let's talk about blank. We're going to hear back from Redditor Jack Nall about skill checks. Then we're going to move on to our main topic where we're going to discuss how to create the perfect villain. Ooh, I love it. And then we'll move on to Ooh, our... Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and then moving, we'll move on to our final segment, Unearthed Tips and Tricks. But before all that, let's hear a bit about what's going on in the realm. Justin? So yesterday was Valentine's <laughs> Day. And uh, my wife and I went and seen uh, Cinderella, right? Cinderella, I yeah. I think it's Rogers and Hammerstein's version. It was really enjoyable. It was fun. I really we go to a lot of things like that because my wife really loves like the Broadway type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Where was it at? Uh, the Whiting. Oh, okay, uh, which is really nice. A very nice place. Mm-hmm. And it was really in, a really relaxing Valentine's Day. You know, we don't really do the candy or the flowers or anything like that because we've been married eight years and we're done past that. But right. uh, we kind of grew out of that type of stuff because it's a waste of money. But <laughs> instead, we'll spend extra money going to see a, right. uh, a live show. But if you ever have an opportunity, it was very interesting. It was very funny, and it had a lot of uh, pop culture references, I guess. Hmm. So I was very surprised at some of those. I'm like, wait, did they just say what I think they said? <laughs> kind of look over at my wife. So it was a lot of fun. I highly enjoyed it. and. It was uh, fantastic. How about you, Ryan? So, as you mentioned, yesterday was Valentine's Day. But you have nobody. For me, it was also a very important day, which oh, yeah. I like to call Taco Tuesday. Oh, yeah? Why? Yeah. You like Taco Tuesday? I love Taco Tuesday. And uh, it's kind of, I don't know why this is funny to me, but um, we went, so we go every Tuesday. At uh, work, right? Um, yeah, with not work, work uh, school work. Okay. My tutoring. Right, right, all right. The tutor, a bunch of us tutors. Yeah, you, you got two jobs. Yeah, so, a couple yeah. of the teachers. Uh, we all go. Three if you count this one. It's not really a job because I'm not paying you. Yeah. <laughs> we all go and we go Volunteer. to Taco Tuesday. And uh, I was wa- we were walking out and I we were getting in the car and I pulled up my phone. I was looking on Facebook. And the first thing I see is February 14th isn't nothing but another Taco Tuesday. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> hey, that's right. <laughs> awesome. So that's in the realm. Yep. So for our second segment, let's talk about blank. Redditor Jack Null has a question about skill checks. He says, uh, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition noob here. I have a question with skill checks. Certain skills are called on pretty frequently in combat, such as perception, medicine, and the like. Are there skills that require the character to be out of combat? As an example, 
Does the animal handling skill require that the animals aren't agitated to begin with? That's a good question. Yeah, and I would say, answering in only a few words, that it depends on, you know, animal animal handling is a very broad skill. Right. So it's hard to say, you can't use animal handling if they're bad, if the animal's agitated. Because, you know, animal handling is everything from trying to calm down an animal right. to trying to, like, befriend an animal. Yeah, and you, can, and you could argue, I mean, some people, like professional horse uh, handlers, when their horses get all riled up, you know, and they, they, know how they to can calm come in down, and know how yeah. to calm down. So If real life were D&D, that would be an animal handling check. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that that's a... a a hard question to answer just because everything is so situational. Yeah. But there are many... It depends more on the action they're trying to do than yes. the check that they're making. Yes. So you it know? depends on the circumstances of the environment. And, and they can always the try. You know, the rogue can try to pick the lock during combat, but it, when he gets, you know, takes an axe to the shoulder, it's probably going to mess up his <laughs> concentration. Um, things like perception are, you know, perception checks are really easy to make in combat. Now, if they're currently being flanked by two or three enemies take being hit left and right, you know, if they're trying and they're trying to perceive something in the distance, they might have a disadvantage right. on that perception check. So you really take in what what action they're doing. Think ask yourself, try to take the fact that they're making a check out of the picture and ask yourself how feasible would this action be right now? Yes, in the time allotted. Yeah, in now, six some, seconds. <laughs> some some DMs are uh, stretch that a little bit. Me personally, if you're a professional uh, lock picker, you know I would think that even during combat in that six seconds, depending on the difficulty of the lock. Yeah, if it's you, a simple you pad probably lock, maybe you get it, maybe not. Yeah. Um. So I would always allow my players to do those things, you know, but. Making a intelligence check is pretty easy. You know, you do those in combat and out of combat because either you know it or you don't, yeah, or you figure it out. Yeah. yeah, you know. So I don't. I can't think of any particular skills that mm-hmm. I would say require you to be out of combat. I think each and every single one is a unique in a unique situation that really needs to be uh, dictated by the DM. And just to point out, you should always tell a DM what you want to do. It's up to them to call whether you do a check yes. or not. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, it's a really good habit to get into as a player of saying, instead of saying, okay, I want to make um, an acrobatics check and try to get over this hole. Say, okay, I, I run and jump over. That's an athletics check. Exactly. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong word. Um because a lot of the times it's actually in your best interest to do so because sometimes as a DM, some things I won't require a check. But if they say, I want to make a check to do this, you know, I'm making them make that check. And if they fail, they failed. Yeah. And it's something that I previously was going to let them have for free, but now because of their wording and, the, and the, their hastiness, right. they failed the check and now they, you know, fell off a ledge or <laughs> you know, tripped and, and fell or made noise and got discovered. Who knows? Yeah, I think that uh, this is a hard question to answer just because there's really, every situation is unique, um, but I'd say 90% of the time there's no reason why you couldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, my favorite thing to say is you can try. You can always try. Right. Um, famous, famous words of the DM right there. Yeah. You can certainly try. Like I said, and when someone says they want to do something, think to yourself, is this action really, like, honestly feasible in this scenario if it's not still let them try but just set the the uh set the dc DC higher yeah Yeah. you know and so so that that way way, if they do roll really great they can still succeed yeah and they do so in spectacular fashion 
<laughs> but there's a very good chance that they don't roll really high and that they don't succeed. And, and they burn their action. Right, and, and, and what is the consequence of that? Right. That's important, and make sure that when you do give people checks in or out of combat that there's always a consequence for it. Absolutely. But the consequence should always drive the story forward. Yes, 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 Don't yes, bring yes, it yes. to a halt. Yeah, so when it comes to discerning whether an ability can be used in or out of combat, use your best judgment as a DM. That's all you can really do. You, mm-hmm. You're there to abjugate the rules. I'd say 90% of the time there's no reason why they can't, or can, they can't do a, a, any skill check in combat or yeah. out of combat only. Yeah. So I hope we answered your question there, Jack Knoll. And if not, please send us a letter complaining about it. <laughs> So our main topic for the day is creating the perfect villain. So Ryan, in your opinion, who is the perfect villain? Who is the perfect villain? Yes. Oh boy. I don't know that I I have a perfect villain. I know who my favorite villain is, and it's Arthas from World of Warcraft. Okay. So what what really makes makes a great villain? How How do you craft one as a DM? Well, first, let's start with what is a villain. And in the most basic sense, what is a villain? A plot driver? Yes, exactly. I mean, that's... As, as an adventurer, it, it is your job security. <laughs> it keeps you in business. Yeah, it's what pays the bills. So the villain is, as a storytelling tool, the antagonist of the story who is driving the main characters forward. Yep. Whether it's to save the day or... They are the villains and they're trying to ruin yeah, the day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So for a villain, I'd say the very first thing you have to do is they have to really stand out. So aside from all the story and all the that stuff, they got to really stand out. Whether there's, they have to have something physical about them that makes them stay ahead above the rest, right? Think about uh, you mentioned Arthas. What makes him stand ahead above the rest? He's a giant. I guess he's normal. He's human, normal, normal human, dude. human size, but you know he's has a legendary blade. His weapon. And, yeah. Right. And that's what stands out. His his weapon. Yeah. Is it Frostmourne? Yep. So his Frostmourne is iconic. Everyone knows that that's the Lich King's weapon. Right. And the same should go for the villain. It doesn't have to be a weapon. Maybe he's got a particular type of piercings or um, tattoos or, you know, maybe he's got a big scar across his eye. Mm-hmm. You know, those physical descriptions that are told by others when they're talking about him, you know. I, I, I like physical characteristics. I think that, you know, uh, and we both have watched Roni Kenshin, you know, the cross the cross shaped scar on his yeah. cheek. That he becomes known for that and that's how they identify him. And I think a villain should be the same way. Yeah. Um and aside from just physical characteristics, what is their station? You know, what type of position do they hold with the public? Hmm. Are they, you know, a beloved ruler? who is shady behind the scenes and his followers don't know it? Or is he, you know, a back alley murderer? Because that really adds a new dynamic if your villain is an army, a commander of the king's army. And that makes it a lot harder for the, you know, the heroes to just walk up and kill him because right, they've now got... they have the entire kingdom on their ass. Right. So... Aside, not only just what does your character look like, who is he as a person, and as like what is his status? Yeah, you want to want him to have like a backstory of sorts. Yeah, because a good know, villain has to be on be beyond the grasp of the adventurers 
in the beginning, yeah. I think. Because some, you know, some people are... Sometimes a villain can be imposing not because of their physical characteristics, but because of who they are. Yeah, just because of their standing. Not because in of the what they eye. look like, but who they are. You know, right. yeah. If it's a magistrate, which a magistrate is like a, I've been watching Spartacus. Um, <laughs> magistrate is like they were like just a step below the Senate, and right. Yeah, so they were really powerful people. It doesn't matter if he's an old, frail white dude. He's still te- he's still scary because he has power. Right. And so that's something that you can take into account. Your villain doesn't have to be. Six foot nine, two hundred and eighty pounds of just pure testosterone. Right. You no, know, your your villain can be a frail old man or a woman or just anyone who generally doesn't fit that massive imposing figure. Right. Right. Kind of swinging back to uh, physical things, cues that they have. You know, having mannerisms, things that make them stand out. Uh, when you're talking to them or interacting them in some way. You know, I love Mr. Burns. Everyone knows the Mr. Burns pose. Yeah. That's a unique cue to him. And it's very indicative of him being a bad guy when he goes, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think having little things like that are a good way. And it's that's not – that particular mannerism is not too hard for the DM to get over. So if – let's say the, the – Let's say the DM was using that mannerism. The, he puts his fingertips together and runs them back and forth. Yeah, in case it's you don't know what Mr. Burns is. He's a guy that, like, one thing, like, slowly closes his fingertips together over and over again. Because of that physical uh, manner, that, that uh, mannerism, as soon as the DM puts his hands together like that, you know who you're talking to. Yeah. There's absolutely no doubt. And having a very simple cue like that is a good way. Or maybe he, he, he fidgets a lot and he's constantly looking over his shoulders left and right, you know? Yeah. It gives that creepy vibe. Yeah. Or maybe maybe he has, you know, if you're not as good as a physical actor, use, use, a, use a voice. Use mm-hmm. a, speci- a very specific, unique voice. Like in that one shot we ran, um, the guy had a lisp. His name, his name was Hans. I loved Hans. And Hans was really fun. He and, was uh, fun. He was. He's dead now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that right there, they knew who he was, and it made him memorable. Yes. You know, it doesn't have to be something. Like, mine, that, we were doing a one-shot. It was just for fun. It was purposely over-the-top and silly. Right. It doesn't have to be. It can be very serious. You know, it can be very could, subtle, too. Yeah. He could have, you know, just like a slight southern draw. Or he could have, you know, like an English accent. Or an, an Irish accent, whatever you want, just make him stand out in some way, so that when you are role playing that character and that NPC, your players know that you are role playing right. without you having to say, "Oh," and Legatus walks up, and they just <laughs> who Legatus, Legolith, Legatus with a T. Oh, I thought you were slurring the Legatith. Le- <laughs> oh, I might have. I didn't mean to. <laughs> Legolith. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he walks up. You don't, you don't have to say he walks up, you know. Um, a shadowy figure comes out of the corner of the room. And then whatever mannerism it is that you, you chose Listen, that fellas. character. You know, maybe you... <laughs> I have a request of you. What is that request? Yeah. Somebody stole something very pleasant from mine. <laughs> so, if that, you know, you described it with the shadowy figure, and then if you just started talking like that, they would know. Yeah, you exactly. You don't have to go through the whole description of who it is or, hmm. or anything like that. So, you know, and ju- what just as important is physical traits are the personality traits. Yes. Most common villains that most people think of, they think very arrogant. They're the best around. 
around. No one's going to ever keep them. Sorry. Yeah, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're very weak and broken people. Yep. Think Professor Quirrell from Harry Potter, who also has a very noticeable mannerism. Stuttering. So he he encaptures that, and he also, when you see him, he's very nervous, and he's very you know awkward and shy. Some villains are like that. And then you have other villains, like staying in Harry Potter, Lord Voldemort, who is very, you know, frank and to the point and doesn't really take anything from anyone. Whether they're rude, arrogant, or hot-tempered, all of that definitely are triggers to the personality, you know. When even if, let's say they're, they're very respectful and this gentleman is in nice noble robes as the adventurers walk up and one of the players stumbles on the steps and bumps into something. And this very quick, composed person might break out of that and start yelling at them. Yeah. Or and having little nuances like that to their personality are really good indicators of a, a, a well thought out uh, character. Yeah. Um. And th- that I'm glad you said that because that is something when you are const- like you don't a, a big you know campaign uh, like villain that a campaign is centered around isn't a character you want to make up on the spot. Oh, for sure. You definitely want to put thought into it beforehand. Because if it's something that's driving the plot, it needs to have thought put into it. Otherwise, it's not going to work out as well as you're going to want it to. Right, I agree. Unless you are just an amazing on-the-spot DM, which you may be. I'm not. (laughs) I can't, like, I have to put thought into it beforehand because otherwise, you know, I might forget about, you know, I might start off doing some certain mannerism like like an eye twitch or you mm-hmm. know maybe i always talk with one eye closed because he wears an eye patch or something like that <laughs> and eventually i because i didn't really put thought in it something i just did on the fly i might forget about that right and i might not really remember to do that been there yeah <laughs> um so digging further into their uh personalities these they should be similar to characters and the fact that they have you know a bond something that drives them yeah and they need to have something that drives them to make the decisions that right. they make outside of like mechanics they're no different from your player characters assuming they're a humanoid villain if it's a dragon obviously they're quite a bit different well yeah but, but still even then dra- yeah, dragons are long lived yeah, they and have just as many bonds as yeah they have reasons the for the things beast. they do they're sentient creatures right um and it's important it's really easy to forget that the villain is a person Yes, especially when they're not, being. especially when they're not role played out as much. Yeah, and you know you're giving them something like a maybe there's maybe they have a lifelong you know personal goal or they have a romantic interest or maybe they're protective over a particular place or thing. Little details like that can really surprise the players. For instance, Hans, the villain that. Uh, Ryan was just talking about had a very valuable item. In fact, that's what drove us to meet him is he hired us to go seek it out. Now, we didn't know that this thing guy needed this horn to turn himself into a fucking beholder <laughs> and destroy us. That wasn't wasn't even a consideration. He was hiring us to go fetch an item that was taken from him. Yeah. Sometimes the villain doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be clear that he's the villain from the beginning. Right. The villain can be manipulative. Should be manipulative. Yeah, often. It's really easy to make the, have the players see other NPCs being manipulated by the villain, but what if they're the ones that are being manipulated? And they don't know. Like, in that situation, he hired them to go find this, this item for him. Right. And really, he was a beholder that was in a human form that was trying to get this horn. So he could change back into a beholder, right? Yeah. And they 
funnily enough, none of them tried to make an insight check or see if any, there was anything fishy about it because he was a you know, he was very nonchalant, frail, yeah. got you know, awkward guy who spoke with a lisp, and <laughs> Jesus. and so they didn't think. To, I mean, they were a little hesitant about it because obviously, whenever the DM railroads you to a person, they're like, "Why are you sending me to this guy?" Right. But for the most part, they went along with it and they were, "Yeah, okay, yeah, let's go get this. Let's bring it back to him." And then, okay, he's now trying to eat your face. Right. So. One other thing that's personality kind of related, I, uh, giving some sort of flaw or secret. I know liches are the most common. They yeah, have a secret item. Their soul is in a phylactery. Yeah. And so they don't want yeah. anybody knowing that, right? Yeah. For example, going back to the Lich King, it's in his helmet. His helmet holds the, – the helmet holds the soul of the Lich King. Headshot. That's all you need. <laughs> that's all you need. Yeah, and if anyone plays WoW, you know, like that's why uh, – and that's why when Arthas puts on that helmet, he becomes the Lich King. So then when you kill Arthas, he takes it off, and that helmet goes on to Bolvar. He becomes the Lich King. Right. Um, that powerful item can really... It can really have a cool effect on your uh, campaign if, you know, they kill the bad guy, and they say, oh, man, he has a really cool sword. That sword was really strong. I'm going to use that sword. Right. And now that sword kind of starts to take control of one of your one of your party members, and you start seeing like a change happening inside of them. And then as a party, you have to decide how to how to how cope to with that. It, yeah. Or maybe you don't take you don't take the sword, and then you leave it there. And then eight years later, someone else walks by and picks up that sword, and now they're the new bad guy. And now they're you're trying to kill them again, and you're like, well, we th- I thought we killed this guy already. Right. Yeah. Awesome. I yeah. love, love when you bring people back. Yeah. So now that we've kind of talked about, like, the personality and the physical attributes, how to go about introducing and, uh, in, in, I guess, making a villain bad. Yeah. I mean, the very first thing you got to do is you have to have some sort of way to introduce them. Yes. Um, why, why do the, the players run into them? Um, usually, depending on the nature of your villain, if he's a little more polit- politically inclined, maybe... You run into him because a mm. uh, princess just died, or the king has just died, or some sort of monarch is is taking up a new post or has passed away. Yeah, generally there will be some you know significant event where you will run into him. Um, maybe you know it might be a, an event as simple as your first arrival at this new town, you know, at, at the capital. You arrive here and you run into him. Okay, or you know maybe. There's a you know a, a, an eclipse happening, and that's when he decides to make his rise to power or do you know his his this act that he's been planning and plotting. Yeah, you want some sort of event that starts his plan in motion, event, yeah. or his plan is already in motion and it's at near its climax. Not cataclysmic catalyst event. <laughs> yeah, so a catalyst event. Yeah, <laughs> so you you want a catalyst event. It can be cataclysmic. <laughs> yeah, it could be. You want a catalyst event that kind of spurs the story on so either it's the start of this big big bad villain story or his story is already going and he's starting to reach the climax Mm -hmm. and this time frame whether it's the the fall of uh, a monarch or the the, a full moon or uh, a rare alignment of the stars some sort of event that he's been waiting for or is the the trigger for uh set event but beyond that there needs to be Goals. Well, there is a, a table in the DMG on page 79 that has a lot of, of those framing events in it. 
Mm -hmm. um, you roll a percentile die, or if you happen to have a D100, you can roll that as well. But yeah, you know, like, and they, they're, they're not, it's not, it doesn't have to be super complex. You know, some of them, an arena event, you know, maybe there's some gladiatorial match and he assassinates the the noble or, right. you know, some kind of planar conjunction, things like that. You want some frame of that, basically, that's going to bring your villain into the story for whatever reason. Yep. Yeah. So the next thing is the villain needs some sort of goal or uh, objective or their scheme, their schemers, so they got schemes. And you have to decide what type of objective they're going to have, whether it's one of, you know, trying to acquire some sort of item that will increase their life. Uh, maybe they're just trying to seize a position of power uh, or a title. Maybe they're trying to, you know, fulfill an apocalyptic prophecy. You know, you need some sort of scheme or goal of the villain from the beginning. And this is a this is where you can really uh, take into it and use what I was talking about earlier about, you know, humanizing your villains. You know, sometimes some people are some villains are born bad, but some of them aren't. Some of them have very you know good intentions to start. That either they are naive and misled and you know, end up falling into something, or they have good intentions, but those intentions start to blur as events to unfold. You know, yeah. and that's when you start to get you know villains that are, are crimes of passion, right? Exactly. Where you've got somebody who, instead of seeking longevity for himself, maybe his wife or daughter or son is dying, and they're doing whatever is in within their power. To find a way to save them, so and that may lead them to cross the, the the line of good and evil to acquire whatever it is they need right. to get that help. Yeah, and I think those make for some of the better stories. Yeah, that 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 is when you get a really good villain because then the players have this weird moral quandary where, you know, yes, he's a bad guy, he's doing bad things, but he's also trying to do a good thing. Yeah, and, and if, if we stop the bad things, we stop the good. Th yeah, and if you were in the same, it, it it helps if you know it forces you to think. If you were in the same position, well, what would you do? Yeah. If my mother is dying and I'm searching out a way to heal her or and fix her and and you know do whatever, what links would you be willing to go to do it? Because right. you obviously are learning what the villain's willing to go to save his loved one. What would you do? Right. And you really, as a characters, your play as players, you'll struggle with that. You know and. Obviously, the life of one outweighs, or the life of many outweighs one, is what some people say. But if you're ever in that situation, does your character believe that? Yeah. And that's where character alignment, I think, is really going to play an integral part to, to the decision. Blurry. Yeah, because now you're going to, half the group's going to want to do one thing and the other half's going to want to do something else. Exactly. And that's going to create a lot of discussions at the table, which yeah. is what you want when you're trying especially to decide how have, to bring down the big bad. Yeah, especially when you, you're at a table where you have conflicting uh, alignments within your players. For sure. And you have a lawful good paladin, but then you also have like the chaotic neutral rogue <laughs> uh, who doesn't really care. <laughs> like, yeah, he just wants to get paid. Yeah. So once you've uh, set up an objective or a scheme for them, you need to determine their methods. Method. How do they go about achieving this uh, scheme, this objective? Yeah. Um, it, yeah, so if their objective is to, you know, seize power and take a, you know, a position of power in the kingdom, how do they go about that, you know? Are they 
assassinating and killing everyone who is <laughs> assassinating above them and, all their uh, yeah. or all their and just uh, climbing up the ladder by killing everyone above them or the are they path. yeah or you know are they trying to you know silver talk their way through are they trying to lie their way in or are they trying to bribe their way? Are they, you know, just slipping coins in the hands of the right people? Are they blackmailing yeah. some of their rivals? Yeah, you know, they're trying all... to give them gain more uh, more power by forcing people to vote for them or yeah. something like that. And this is where you, as a DM, can take other NPCs that are generally overlooked and really involve them in your campaign. Oh, for sure. Because that's something that I think really adds to a campaign is when normal NPCs just. I, t- I want to go talk to that person standing on the side of the road. And that person, that random NPC can actually add to your campaign. Because they can give you valuable, valuable information. Or maybe they've been affected by the villain. Or maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe he's uh, trying to implement a new plan that requires that all these people in this area get gone. Yeah. In some way. Whether they, he is mur- getting, killing them by murdering them. Maybe he's trying to push them out and evict them. He owns the land and he's like, you know what? I want this to be a new market and there's too it's a slum right now so i'm gonna kick you all out instead yep. of trying to finding a uh, a more just way to disperse them he's just giving them eviction notices and kicking them out on their ass or sending yep. some uh, thugs after them for coming back home yeah and this really you know goes hand in hand with the framing events that we were talking about if your villain's method is you know murder and assassination and perhaps the framing event is a public execution yeah crucifixion yeah, yeah, crucifixion really or a beheading or a hanging or any, you know, just some type, some public display of, you know, this is what happens. Right, when you cross and this me. is, that's a really great example to really get the uh, players emotionally involved, too, because maybe the person that's being crucified. Maybe they know the person. Yeah, maybe the person being crucified is somebody they know. Maybe it's a, maybe it's part of their backstory. Maybe you guys are wandering through town and this person over, uh, this character over here has got some story in this town or a local town and this person being crucified is tied to them somehow. And they get to watch as they beg for their life as they are, uh, you know, whipped and chained and beat and arms pulled out of the socket by horse, you know, all these different things. Genghis Khan style. <laughs> yeah. All these no, different that's things. Kill the hunt. <laughs> well, whatever. They both suck. <laughs> um, any one of these can be used to really pull that, that, heartstring to get the players emotionally attached and angry at this villain yes because that, that, that that's a very good point connect the villain directly to the players right because some players if they see bad things happening to other people they don't care like gen, genuinely sometimes they don't care like, yeah right. it sucks to be that guy but when something <laughs> bad happens to your party members well that party member that had something bad happens to them now wants vengeance or wants to write it Right, and then his friends, these party members that are generally, you know, uh, it's pretty safe assumption. Most of the time, these party members, you know, the characters are supposed to be friends, and they know each other, and they're they're close to each other. You know, they're close to this person who just had something terrible happen to them. They're, they want to help them in making it right, and so it really gives your characters and your players a reason to hate this villain. Right. And I, I kind of like to point out that not all villains are going to be so blatant. It's yeah. not going to be so obvious that they're the villain. Yeah, sometimes you have to convince other people that he's the villain. Right, They may people may not know. You know, a good example is, you know, having a, a city of full of magic. And, well, everything's powered by magic. That magic comes from somewhere. Maybe on the, on the outside it's this beautiful, perfect living space. But underneath, you know, 
they're slaves, second-rate citizens whose, you know, energy is being sucked away to power all that stuff. So up on top, everyone thinks this guy running this is just the greatest guy in the world. But once you get farther down, you realize that, well, yeah, he's good, but only to... Some people. Some people. So maybe the people in below are all, you know, goblins. You know, goblins we treat as evil all the time. But is it fair to have, you know, children and women and raised in an area where their life is just being sucked up from them all day long to right. power some big city? In that case, you may not know that that bad guy is a bad guy until you discover this deep, dark secret that mm. they're hiding. Mm-hmm. Another good example is The Flash. Mm-hmm. Harrison Wells, who the whole time is you know, training the Flash and is, you know, you think he's a good guy. He's his mentor. Turns out he's been the villain the whole time. Right. He's just using him to power, uh, develop his powers. Yeah. So he can use it to get himself back to the and then future. A, Spoiler a, alert. Yeah. A different take on it is uh, Count Olaf from Series of Unfortunate Events. Okay. I don't know if you've it. ever seen that or read any of the books. Um, but essentially... There are these, like, orphans who their family dies and everything, mm-hmm. and they have this, like, distant cousin who's evil and wants to take over their fortune, and so he keeps trying to, like, first he's their guardian, and then they go somewhere else, and he keeps showing up these places and, like, killing his guardians, mm-hmm. and, uh, he, but every time he shows up, he shows up in, like, a disguise, and they can tell it's him, they're like, oh my god, it's Count Olaf, and everyone's like, no, it's not, that's not Count Olaf, you guys are crazy, look, his name's obviously not Count Olaf, and Count Olaf doesn't has an, a unibrow. He has two eyebrows and things like that. <laughs> and so you can have this weird kind of situation where the players know this guy. This guy's bad. We got to stop him. But everyone else thinks he's good. Right. There's a really nice table on page 95 of the DMG that really just gives you a massive collection of uh, schemes and methods for creating. If you want to create one randomly, or read the room and pick them up. You know. So. Yeah. So keep in mind that all the stuff that we're talking about, you know, creating a big villain, you can use for just the opposite, for heroes, yeah. you know, for other NPCs. Although we're focusing on the villains, really the same principles apply in most scenarios. Obviously not methods of tyranny, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you want to create an interesting local noble, you can follow the same structure. He doesn't have to be the big bad, but giving you a, a brief backstory, a... One that he's taxing the, the the city into poverty, and you know he's living living large, but uh, they're they don't have nothing, you know. So all these still apply to other NPCs. So make sure you you take something home from that. Like you were kind of just saying, you know, this doesn't only apply to the main big bad villain of the of the encounter. You know, you can also use these these same. Um, practices to you know build lore yeah and build previous villains and heroes that have come and gone and you know risen and fallen throughout you know the history of your world and like you were saying with heroes you can also use most of these other than like the right of like the type of tyranny kind of table like idea uh to build heroes and you know these really big influential good figures right or maybe you have this ruler who he's this beloved ruler and he's a great guy and he really is a good guy but he, you know, he has a habit of kind of oppressing any ideas that are different than his. Yeah. 
and you know he's not necessarily like you know publicly executing these people but he he goes through he goes to great lengths to make sure these ideas don't don't come out because what might happen if people start you know thinking freely oh yeah i mean especially if you've got you know if your local your big city has a source of information whether it's like a news board yeah, or what a lengths bulletin. will he go to protect that yeah you know, oh you were, no okay, I was, you were going to something else i was <laughs> yeah um you know if they've got a, a a like a a bulletin or something that comes out that's part of the you know people find normally find their information in taverns but that's not the only source you can have message boards and and bounty boards and all these different things and that are there to you know share information and maybe he's behind the scenes controlling that so that hmm. he's manipulating the information that's going out to everybody you know what if hey a local town was attacked by hobgoblins a big reward for all the hobgoblin heads you can collect yeah and you find out that the hobgoblins are b- bountiful but they are not the ones that torched the building it was just or torched the village it was just a way that he hid what really happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes heroes really kind of walk that line between hero and villain. So last episode when we had Kurt on during the Unearth Tips and Tricks, uh, the encounter of the podcast, I don't remember what it was called. I think it was just called like Groundhog's Day or something like that. I don't remember the exact name, but it was, you know, the this city was trapped in an infinite loop and... This wizard had done so in order to protect her people because, you know, the city was destroyed. Right. So that wizard, that that woman, walks a very fine line between good and evil. Right. Good because, you know, she saved all these people's lives. She saved them from being destroyed. Yeah, she's evil not because a bad she, person. Evil because she enslaved them forever. <laughs> you, know, uninten- you know, maybe with good intentions, but she kind of walks that line between she did a good thing, she did a bad thing. Good right. Thing, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good example. So, yeah. so take time in developing your villains. It's worth it. It pays off. Find a way to connect them directly to the players, though. That's critical. Otherwise, your players aren't going to give two shits, and it's no different than just <laughs> pr- printing out a cobalt sheet. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that is uh, today's main topic. Building the perfect villain. Thanks to our fellowship with Loresmith, all of Crit Nation has another wonderful chance to win a prize each and every week. Each episode, we will draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness. Loresmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that push them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one you don't want to miss. This week's winner of the Claws of Madness is Avrama Girl. I'm um, sorry if we slaughtered that. Yeah, it's A V R H A M A Girl. Avrahama Girl. Avrahama, maybe something like that. I'm not sure, but regardless, you won. Congratulations! <laughs> Congratulations! <Woo-hoo>! Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we hope you enjoy your adventure. If you enjoy the adventure, please let us know. We'd love to hear about it. Also, head on over to Loresmith and tell them how much you love it. Yeah. Moving on to our fourth and final segment, Unearth Tips and Tricks. Our character concept is Spells from a Hat. This is one that I think is a 
sounds like a lot of fun. I, I haven't played seems, it, but I really challenging. want to. Seems seems very tricky. So essentially, what it is, you have a spellcaster of some sort, you know, wizard, sorcerer, warlock. Doesn't matter. But they have a really poor memory, and they can't remember all their spells. You know, I got all these spells. I got to remember every day. It's a lot of work. So I don't think the. I don't think that the warlock fits into that <laughs> <laughs> with their fucking two spell yeah. slots. Sorry. Um, so, you know, when they're preparing their spells for the day or whatever, instead of remembering all these spells, they remember a couple, but then they put about six or so, write them on pieces of paper, put them in a bag or in their hat so they have them for later. So then, if they, if they, oh, I had a spell that worked for this, you know, they can pull a spell out of their bag, read it, and hope it's the right spell. <laughs> they just cast it randomly, right? Yeah. So, mechanically speaking, um, when you prepare your spells for the day, you would put six of them in a randomizer. Um, I, I actually really like the idea of having, like, a cloth bag, like a, like a Crown Royal mm-hmm. bag or something, and putting the bat or right. pieces of paper with the spell on it in there. But you know, it's, it's you can also be as simple as you know giving assigning them a number and rolling a d6. Yeah, and and it's good because you can pick the six. You can kind of group them together. Whether you pick all illusion spells or yeah. evocation spells that blow shit up. Because I'll be honest, I love the idea of pulling a hat out and just fireballing the shit out of a tiny cobalt. Yeah, just a complete waste of a spell slot. But man, it would just be total overkill. And yeah. Your character might become known for that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I also I kind of think of. Uh, the cleric or the paladin who goes tries to use cure wounds but instead <laughs> uses like quite, sacred flame can't quite and channel just destroys the, his teammate can't quite channel his power right yeah you know so that's a that's a good way to think about it too you know yeah so um, we definitely think that this is obviously not designed to be optimized it's yeah this not, is not a good <laughs> mechanical character it's a fun character yeah and it definitely similar in ways to like the wild sorcerer where just the results are unpredictable but yeah. fun but you do have a little bit of control over them because you can you can choose to to prepare you know similar like spells yeah and hope for the best now obviously this definitely will mean you're not going to be optimized but that's okay you know it'll be we promise it'll be a little bit it's worth fun. it for the fun yeah, especially when you go to, I will incinerate you, demon, and cast an ice spell on him. You know? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the worst like cast, like, minor illusion. <laughs> uh, crap! <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh, our character concept, Spells from a Hat. The monster variant of the podcast is, I begrudgingly say, the Goblin Napper. Why do you begrudgingly? That's clever. Jesus. <laughs> So, what essentially what this is, it's a, a ranged attacking goblin. So, generally they have a short bow. Um, and for this, you replace that uh, short bow with a blowgun. It does one piercing damage. So, it's not very powerful. And it only has a range <laughs> Just a little of, prick. Yeah, only has a range of 25 and an extended range of 100 feet. Um, and they have to load after every round. But, after one round, an enemy that's hit by the dart suffers the effects of a sleep spell. Dun, dun, dun. So you're not really doing a lot of damage, but you're incapacitating yeah, if, your players. If left unattended, he can continually incapacitate everyone right. systematically. And, and what's what's beautiful about it is by delaying it one turn, they're probably just gonna they scoff at happened. it. Yeah, yeah they they're gonna scoff happened. at it. And I think that that's the 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 oh shit when you're in the middle of you get hit with a little prick. What the hell? You kind of just knock it off and you go back into engagement. Yeah. And then you just pass out. Yeah. So now, 
what's interesting is the players may not know why that's they're what caused it. Asleep. They might think they're having a sleep spell cast on them. Yeah, I mean, if you hit, if he hit, manages to hit a tank and he's fully engaged, and then during his, you know, his attack, he fall, he just falls unconscious. Yeah. That's gonna really fuck with their heads. Yeah, unless they they're close enough to hear him snoring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it definitely can change. Um, the tides of combat in favor of the enemy. Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't recommend putting more than a couple of these guys in the. Yeah. In the. It's just because if group. your entire party all gets hit by them and then the next round they're all asleep, that can kind of ruin things. Right. But it could be it could be fun too. Maybe they see most people would be under the assumption that the enemies would probably kill them, but maybe they don't. Maybe they take them hostage. Yeah, and that's the beginning of a new new story encounter. Line. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, I definitely love this monster variant, and I hope that you do too. Uh, the Goblin Napper. <laughs> Our encounter of the podcast is The Call of the Siren. Now, if any of you guys have ever read The Odyssey... I love The Odyssey. It's my favorite book. Really? Yes, I actually have it in my lunch bag right now. Really? Yeah, because I read it at least once a year usually. Huh? Yeah. yeah, I used to do that with uh, Lord of the Rings. I'd read the entire trilogy every summer. Yeah, I, I read it just because it gives me something to do. It's a good book. But I love it's I a lo- good story. I like the way it's written. It's written very in this old. It's, yeah, awesome. it's written in verse. I love it. yeah, yeah, it's great. It's hard to read at first when I first read it. It was very hard. Yeah. So if you've ever read the Odyssey, um, or know a bit about Greek and Roman mythology, you know what a siren is. Yes. Um, a siren are generally from a distance they appear to be generally beautiful women. But if your party is women, you could have them be, you know, hunky men. Right. But, and um, historically, in the mythology, they would lure sailors to their, like, this little, al- like, rocky alcove with mm-hmm. their, their voices, but singing and appearing beautiful from a distance. And, you know, the sailors would crash into the rocks and drown, or they would get to them and then they'd kill them because they were really disgusting and terrible monsters. Right. And this is a take on that. It's it's exactly that you yeah. know the idea is that you can toss us into any adventure when you know they're out on boats or you know maybe they're on land and then there's this giant lake and in the center of the lake is this beautiful noise being uh, is carrying across the waves and the the, the 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 people the heroes all start disappearing and being you know walking and trying to get to this it was like uh, jumping overboard yeah trying, trying to, swim, to get yeah. get to this you know obviously mechanically it would be like a, a wisdom save to see if they can resist it all uh in this case because the sirens are female all males would have like disadvantage on their saves and the goal is that they become uncontrollably attracted to the sound of the voice yeah. and that they have to reach it they love this thing it's something that they can't live without and they're going to die for the idea is that while we often fight and slay monsters, they usually do it of their own volition. They make the choice. Yeah. They're being dragged to this against their free will, which someone argues kind of railroady, but that's the whole point of the mechanic is they, despite their their characters or their players knowing that they shouldn't go, because the characters undoubtedly are going to know this, and it's going to test their metagaming because they're going to know, oh, shit, oh, man, I failed. I'm, and they're going to have to describe how their character is either diving overboard or swimming through this, you know, treacherous rapids and try to get to this area. Now, I ran this where it turned out that it wasn't sirens or females actually making the noise. There was a mystical uh, horn 
that was giving off a, a sound when the wind blew into this cave through like the east or something, and it created ran this magical horn made noise, and it drew everyone to it. The problem is the whole place was booby trapped. Mm. So it's a little bit different take on that, but the idea is the same as trying to lure them to a ambush or a trap or some sort of inevitable death, and watching your players kind of struggle with that, especially when only half of them get charmed and the rest don't. Watching how they come up and deal with stopping their friends from essentially committing suicide. Yeah. So that is our encounter of the podcast, The Call of the Sirens. Our magic item of the podcast is the Mystic Top Hat. We've all seen the magician pull a rabbit out of a hat. Exactly. And this is... Who says it has to be a rabbit? Yeah. You know, essentially, what this allows you to do is once per day, you can cast the Find Familiar spell without using any spell slots or having known the spell. Now, the one caveat to that is you don't get to choose the familiar you summon. Yeah, it's random. Yeah, you reach into the hat and you pull one out. <laughs> you know, maybe you pull out Nimpling, maybe you pull out a Pseudo Dragon, maybe you pull out an Owl, maybe you pull out a Rat. <laughs> Who knows what you pull out? And uh, it's really fun I concept of reach into the hat and hope we get something that's going to help us. <laughs> right, and, and the twist on it is it doesn't have to be something that's too super helpful. The DM can make it something that's pissed that you just pulled it and plucked it away from its home or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... I'd use it more in role play, scenario, like as a bar trick, like in the tavern. <laughs> like, hey, hey what, I pulled up out of All right, so that Until is until it's our... an impling and it burns down the end. <laughs> <laughs> so that is our magic item of the podcast: the mystic top hat. Our dungeon master tip of the podcast is to use traps. You know, I feel like we shouldn't have to tell people this, but... How many times have you played a stealth-based character, like a rogue or a ranger? I want to check this room for traps. It's not trapped. I want to check this room for traps. It's not trapped. I want to check this room for traps. It's not trapped. That's not enough traps. Yeah. <laughs> and, and traps don't have to be so obvious that the, the rogue, you know, it doesn't always have to be like a, a blow dart, you know, out of the wall or anything like that. Some of the more common ones, you know, flamethrower statues or a room flooding or shoving somebody into an Iron Maiden could be a trap. It's not a trap right out of the gate, but (laughs) if somebody does the shove action, you can shove somebody into it and then close it. So when you you think traps, it doesn't have to be something that's obviously a trap. It could be something that's in the room that could become a trap. What if, for you know, in the instance of an Iron Maiden, uh, one of the enemies shoves you into it and then locks it. And it's dealing damage over time, or maybe you're dying while you're inside, and if that lock can't get picked in time during combat, maybe you die. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a pretty rough one, you know, yeah. especially if it's doing ongoing damage while somebody's trapped inside, but, you know... I also like the idea of traps that don't necessarily harm the player, but give awareness of their presence. Um, I, I like to use the... Uh, it's like a glyph of thunder wave. They step on it and cast thunder wave, a thunder wave spell centered on them. So they don't take damage. But everyone around them does? Well, not even not even that. It just makes a lot of noise. So if they're trying to be stealthy. Oh, like an alarm trap. Yeah. Not to be confused with the spell alarm. Yeah. Think of it as, you know, the chain of soda cans attached to your door. So if someone opens the door, <laughs> you know, you know that, they're there. That's very Trailer Park, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've um, never personally done that. We've talked about, you know, doing traps and making sure that you come up with something, but there's only a few traps that are actually in the book. Yeah. But you can turn anything into a trap, you know. Take one of the wind spells, for instance. Gust. Just pushes people back, right? Yeah. If you put that trap on a ledge, that's going to be turn that little tiny trap into a big deal. So, And it changes it up enough that, well, what is the rogue going to do about a glyph spell trap? Not a whole lot, right. but it'll give your... Uh, spellcasters an opportunity to have to deal with traps. Yeah, and you, you know you never know what ha- what's gonna happen when you're walking through the woods and all of a sudden, surprise, motherfucker! There's just a giant log <laughs> flying at you. <laughs> oh shit! You know, um, there's a giant log trap that just right, barrels that, into you. Yeah, and that comes that comes back to uh, you know when you you mentioned you know people sneaking in and trying to you know do stealth stuff if. The, end, the players are trying to be stealthy and they fail, maybe you don't tell them. Maybe instead mm. the enemies now know they're coming and as they're walking through this forest, they have plenty of time to warn them ahead and set up that big giant swinging log that smashes into their face. Maybe they have uh, set up an ambush trap, you know. I like the idea of somebody just waiting and triggering and blowing up a bunch of trees and they all logs all fall on the <laughs> players. Just, just having traps when they're wandering through the forest. Quicksand is a really easy yeah. one you can put that, you know, if somebody, you guys are wa- hiking through the forest and you want to do one of those. A pitfall trap or quicksand. Yeah, you yeah. want to do one of those uh, those quick uh, five-minute brushovers for long travel and you give them, make them do a survival check. Describe as they're walking through this luscious uh, forest, the ground starting to to get kind of soggy and they realize that they're being pulled under and now they've stumbled into quicksand. And the yeah. only thing that determined it was that, you know, they rolled really poopy. Yeah. Um, it's important to make sure that you have traps during in games, but not just during the game, but in combat as well. Put traps in combat. We, we mentioned the Iron Maiden one. That's an awesome one. Uh, it can put keep people on their toes. Adding, you know, flame-throwing statues during combat and having the wizard or maybe the barbarian just decides to just smash the, the stone statues. Yeah. Know? So it gives other people to do other side from just deal with enemies, yeah. which is the norm. And you want to keep it, it adds flavor and change and all that good stuff. So yeah, we shouldn't have to tell you to use traps, but that is going to be our DM tip of the podcast. Use, use traps. traps. <laughs> our player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. You can avoid dickitude by sharing your story. Yeah. There's some players that spend a lot of time writing amazing backstories, but then they're using this backstory to decide what their character is going to do, but then doesn't really share it that much with anybody. Yeah. Specifically the DM. Yeah. You know, it's one thing, you know, sometimes you do want your character to be very secretive about his past and everything. So you're not going to share a lot with the other characters, but I always make it a habit when I do make like a, a in-depth backstory, I give a copy to the DM so that when he's building the encounters and he's building the world, you know, he can include my character in the development of that world and those encounters. Mm-hmm. And he can include my character's backstory and experiences and goals in what is going to happen. Right, because there's nothing more enjoyable to a player than when you run into a villain and it turns out it's your childhood bully. Yeah. That your DM has found a way to put him into a high-ranked position and now he's towering over you, so he's going to be bullying you again. Yeah. And most people, you know, when you create a character, you have a goal and, and a bond. And a lot of times people just randomly roll them, but some people actually put a lot of thought into them. Right. And if you don't tell your DM, if you don't tell that to your DM, that's never going to come to fruition. 
Um, so if you are able to share with your DM, you know, what your character is aiming to do and what they're, you know, striving to do, then maybe your DM can let that happen and can let you live out your character's future in yeah. the game. You know, remember, it's a group telling, storytelling experience. So in order to share that, everyone needs to really share with the DM uh, what is going on in their story because that stuff should be critical to the development of the world. Everyone should have input, even if it's something you made up. Now, that being said, for those of you that like to write entire novels, please leave room for growth. Yeah. Yeah, your character's not at the end of his story. Right. He's in the middle. They're in the middle somewhere. Yeah. That is our player tip of the podcast. Don't Don't be be a a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by sharing your story. Please join us on our next episode where we hear feedback from you, our heroes. We will be discussing how to build and run a mystery-based adventure. We hope you enjoyed your experience here at the Crit Academy. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help others find our show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on iTunes or Libsyn. Or be sure to give us a like and a share. You can also subscribe to us so that we can help you on your future adventures. If you have any questions you want answered or subjects you'd like us to discuss, please leave us feedback on Twitter and Facebook at Crit Academy, or you can email us at critacademy at gmail.com. Make sure to visit our website, critacademy.com, where you can find all of our fellowship members, Goblinstone, Laura Smith, and Orican's Lair. You can also support us by either subscribing to our newsletter or by using our Amazon affiliate links. You can support, help support the show by using our links to buy things you were going to buy anyway. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm your host, Justin. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Shh.